Chapter 11 of A Chinese Wonder Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Chinese Wonder Book by Norman Hinsdale Pittman. Chapter 11 The Phantom Vessel. Once, a ship loaded with pleasure seekers was sailing from North China to Shanghai. High winds and stormy weather had delayed her, and she was still one week from port when a great plague broke out on board. This plague was of the worst kind. It attacked passengers and sailors alike, until there were so few left to sail the vessel that it seemed as if she would soon be left to the mercy of winds and waves. On all sides lay the dead, and the groans of the dying were most terrible to hear. Of that great company of travellers, only one, a little boy named Ying Lo had escaped. At last, the few sailors who had been trying hard to save their ship were obliged to lie down upon the deck, a prey to the dreadful sickness, and soon they too were dead. Ying Lo now found himself alone on the sea. For some reason, he did not know why, the gods or the sea fairies had spared him. But as he looked about in terror at the friends and loved ones who had died, he almost wished that he might join them. The sails flapped about like great broken wings, while the giant waves dashed higher above the deck, washing many of the bodies overboard and wetting the little boy to the skin. Shivering with cold, he gave himself up for lost and prayed to the gods, whom his mother had often told him about, to take him from this dreadful ship and let him escape the fatal illness. As he lay there praying, he heard a slight noise in the rigging just above his head. Looking up, he saw a ball of fire running along a yard arm near the top of the mast. The sight was so strange that he forgot his prayer and stared with open-mouthed wonder. To his astonishment, the ball grew brighter and brighter, and then suddenly began slipping down the mast, all the time increasing in size. The poor boy did not know what to do or to think. Were the gods in answer to his prayer sending fire to burn the vessel? If so, he would soon escape. Anything would be better than to be alone upon the sea. Nearer and nearer came the fireball. At last, when it reached the deck, to Ying Lo's surprise, something very, very strange happened. Before he had time to feel alarmed, the light vanished, and a funny little man stood in front of him, peering anxiously into the child's frightened face. Yes, you are the lad I'm looking for, he said at last, speaking in a piping voice that almost made Ying Lo smile. You are Ying Lo, and you are the only one left of this wretched company. This he said, pointing towards the bodies lying here and there about the deck. Although he saw that the old man meant him no harm, the child could say nothing, but waited in silence, wondering, what would happen next? By this time, the vessel was tossing and pitching so violently that it seemed every minute as if it would upset and go down beneath the foaming waves, never to rise again. Not many miles distant on the right, some jagged rocks stuck out of the water, lifting their cruel heads as if waiting for the helpless ship. The newcomer walked slowly towards the mast and tapped on it three times with an iron staff he had been using as a cane. Immediately the sail spread, 
The vessel righted itself and began to glide over the sea so fast that the gulls were soon left far behind, while the threatening rocks upon which the ship had been so nearly dashed seemed like specks in the distance. Do you remember me? said the stranger, suddenly turning and coming up to Yinglo. But his voice was lost in the whistling of the wind, and the boy knew only by the moving of his lips that the old man was talking. The gray beard bent over until his mouth was at Yinglo's ear. Did you ever see me before? With a puzzled look, at first the child shook his head. Then, as he gazed more closely, there seemed to be something that he recognized about the wrinkled face. Yes, I think so, but I don't know when. With a tap of his staff, the fairy stopped the blowing of the wind, and then spoke once more to his small companion. One year ago, I passed through your village. I was dressed in rags and was begging my way along the street, trying to find someone who would feel sorry for me. Alas, no one answered my cry for mercy. Not a crust was thrown into my bowl. All the people were deaf, and fierce dogs drove me from door to door. Finally, when I was almost dying of hunger, I began to feel that here was a village without one good person in it. Just then, you saw my suffering, ran into the house, and brought me out food. Your heartless mother saw you doing this and beat you cruelly. Do you remember now, my child? Yes, I remember, he answered sadly. And that mother is now lying dead. Alas, all, all are dead. My father and my brothers also. Not one is left of my family. Little did you know, my boy, to whom you were giving food that day. You took me for a lowly beggar, but behold, it was not a poor man that you fed, for I am Iron Staff. You must have heard of me when they were telling of the fairies in the western heaven and of their adventures here on earth. Yes, yes, answered Ying Lo, trembling half with fear and half with joy. Indeed, I have heard of you many, many times, and all the people love you for your kind deeds of mercy. Alas, they did not show their love, my little one. Surely you know that if anyone wishes to reward the fairies for their mercies, he must begin to do deeds of the same kind himself. No one but you in all your village had pity on me in my rags. If they had known that I was Iron Staff, everything would have been different. They would have given me a feast and begged for my protection. The only love that loves aright is that which loves in every plight. The beggar in his sad array is molded of the self-same clay. Who knows a man by what he wears, by what he says, or by his prayers? Hidden beneath that wrinkled skin, a fairy may reside within. Then treat with kindness and with love the lowly man, the God above. A friendly nod, a welcome smile, for love is ever worth the while. Ying Lo listened in wonder to Ironstaff's little poem, and when he had finished, the boy's face was glowing with the love of which the fairy had spoken. My poor, poor father and mother, he cried. They knew nothing of these beautiful things you were telling me. 
They were brought up in poverty, as they were knocked about in childhood by those around them, so they learned to beat others who begged them for help. Is it strange that they did not have hearts full of pity for you when you looked like a beggar? But what about you, my boy? You were not deaf when I asked you. Have you not been whipped and punished all your life? How then did you learn to look with love at those in tears? The child could not answer these questions, but only looked sorrowfully at Ironstaff. Oh, can you not, good fairy, will you not restore my parents and brothers and give them another chance to be good and useful people? Listen, Ying Lo, it is impossible unless you do two things first, he answered, stroking his beard gravely and leaning heavily upon his staff. What are they? What must I do to save my family? Anything you ask of me will not be too much to pay for your kindness. First, you must tell me of some good deed done by these people for whose lives you are asking. Name only one, for that will be enough. But it is against our rules to help those who have done nothing. Yingle was silent, and for a moment his face was clouded. Yes, I know he said finally, brightening. They burned incense once at the temple. That was certainly a deed of virtue. But when was it, little one, that they did this? When my big brother was sick, and they were praying for him to get well. The doctors could not save him with boiled turnip juice or with any other of the medicines they used. So my parents begged the gods. Selfish, selfish, muttered Iron Staff. If their eldest son had not been dying, they would have spent no money at the temple. They tried in this way to buy back his health, for they were expecting him to support them in their old age. Yinglo's face fell. You are right, he answered. Can you think of nothing else? Yes, oh yes. Last year when the foreigner rode through our village and fell sick in front of our house, they took him in and cared for him. How long? asked the other sharply. Until he died the next week. And what did they do with the mule he was riding, his bed, and the money in his bag? Did they try to restore them to his people? No, they said they'd keep them to pay for the trouble. Yinglo's face turned scarlet. But try again, dear boy. Is there not one little deed of goodness that was not selfish? Think once more. For a long time Ying Lo did not reply. At length he spoke in a low voice. I think of one, but I fear it amounts to nothing. No good, my child, is too small to be counted when the gods are weighing a man's heart. Last spring the birds were eating in my father's garden. My mother wanted to buy poison from the shop to destroy them, but my father said no, that the little things must live and he, for one, was not in favor of killing them. At last, Ying Lo, you have named a real deed of mercy, and as he spared the tiny birds from poison, so shall his life and the lives of your mother and brothers be restored from the deadly plague. But remember, there is one other thing that depends on you. Ying Lo's eyes glistened gratefully. Then if it rests with me and I can do it, you have my promise. 
No sacrifice should be too great for a son to make for his loved ones, even though his life itself is asked in payment. Very well, Yang Lo. What I require is that you carry out to the letter my instructions. Now it is time for me to keep my promise to you. So saying, Iron Staff called on Yinglo to point out the members of his family, and approaching them one by one, with the end of his iron stick, he touched their foreheads. In an instant, each, without a word, arose. Looking round and recognizing Yinglo, they stood back, frightened at seeing him with the fairy. When the last had risen to his feet, Iron Staff beckoned all of them to listen. This they did willingly, too much terrified to speak, for they saw on all sides signs of the plague that had swept over the vessel, and they remembered the frightful agony they had suffered in dying. Each knew that he had been lifted by some magic power from darkness into light. My friends, began the fairy, little did you think when less than a year ago you drove me from your door that soon you yourselves would be in need of mercy. Today you have had a peep into the awful land of Yama. You have seen the horror of his tortures, have heard the screams of his slaves, and by another night you would have been carried before him to be judged. What power is it that has saved you from his clutches? As you look back through your wicked lives, can you think of any reason why you deserve this rescue? No. There is no memory of goodness in your black hearts. Well, I shall tell you, it is this little boy, this Yinglo, who many times has felt the weight of your wicked hands and has hidden in terror at your coming. To him alone you owe my help. Father, mother, and brothers all gazed in turn, first at the fairy, and then at the timid child whose eyes fell before their looks of gratitude. By reason of his goodness, this child whom you have scorned is worthy of a place within the western heaven. In truth, I came this very day to lead him to that fairyland. For you, however, he wishes to make a sacrifice. With sorrow, I am yielding to his wishes. His sacrifice will be that of giving up a place among the fairies and of continuing to live here on this earth with you. He will try to make a change within your household. If at any time you treat him badly and do not heed his wishes, mark you well my words. By the power of this magic staff, which I shall place in his hands, he may enter at once into the land of the fairies, leaving you to die in your wickedness. This I command him to do, and he has promised to obey my slightest wish. This plague took you off suddenly and ended your wicked lives. Yinglo has raised you from its grasp, and his power can lift you from the bed of sin. No other hand than his can bear the rod which I am leaving. If one of you but touch it, instantly he will fall dead upon the ground. And now, my child, the time has come for me to leave you. First, however, I must show you what you are now able to do. Around you lie the corpses of sailors and passengers. Tap three times upon the mast and wish that they shall come to life. So saying, he handed Yinglo the iron staff. Although the magic rod was heavy, the child lifted it as if it were a fairy's wand. Then, stepping forward to the mast, he rapped three times as he had been commanded. Immediately on all sides arose the bodies, once more full of life and strength. 
Now command a ship to take you back to your home port, for such sinful creatures as these are in no way fit to make a journey among strangers. They must first return and free their homes of sin. Again, rapping on the mast, the child willed the great vessel to take its homeward course. No sooner had he moved the staff than, like a bird wheeling in the heavens, the bark swung round and started on the return journey. Swifter than a flash of lightning flew the boat, for it was now become a fairy vessel. Before the sailors and the travelers could recover from their surprise, land was sighted, and they saw that they were indeed entering the harbor. Just as the ship was darting toward the shore, the fairy suddenly, with a parting word to Yinglo, changed into a flaming ball of fire which rolled along the deck and ascended the spars. Then, as it reached the top of the rigging, it floated off into the blue sky, and all on board, speechless with surprise, watched it until it vanished. With a cry of thanksgiving, Yinglo flung his arms about his parents and descended with them to the shore. End of chapter 11 Recording by Conan the Reader, Victoria, B.C.